Okay, we're going to continue on our uh, series in Revelation. Today's message is entitled, The Persecuted Church. So today we come to the second letter to the churches in the book of Revelation. And how we approach this topic will tell us if we are truly following Jesus and if we are truly ready for His return. Matthew 5, verse 10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. When the topic of persecution comes up, do you really feel blessed? Don't answer that question because it's misleading. After all, we are not to be moved by our feelings, even though many are influenced and moved by their feelings much more than they realize. On the contrary, we are to be moved by and led by the truth of God's Word. He knows that in our strength, in our logic, and in our own feelings, we will be faced with fear and doubt and insecurities. When we can see that we are blessed in persecution and are willing to follow Jesus no matter what or who comes against us, then we know that we're ready for His return. However, many who say they are following Him right now are really not ready at all. Many are still following after what they believe the world can offer them instead of the promise that Jesus offers us. You see, if you are more moved by your fear than your faith, when we discuss the topic of persecution, so much so that you seek to avoid any consideration or any talk of persecution, let alone be willing to experience it it for following Jesus, then you have not counted the cost of being a Christian. Jesus talked about you must count the cost before you follow me. You see, being a Christian is not about joining a club or being part of a popular movement. It's actually less popular nowadays. It's not part of, being a Christian is not about being part of a popular group. Taking on the name of Jesus and following Him in this world has serious consequences. In America, while Christians may have had some of their rights or some of their liberties threatened in our country, we have no idea what persecution is. While American Christians talk of the day when tribulation will come to us, as prophesied in the Bible, understand that many of our brothers and sisters in the faith around the world are already living in their tribulation. They're not waiting for the end days or waiting for tribulation. They wake up and every day they are living in their tribulation. Christians in Asia, in Africa, in the Middle East, and remote locations all around the world are already every day tortured, imprisoned, beat, threatened, beheaded, and killed just for their allegiance to Jesus. Just for saying that they publicly proclaim that they follow and believe Jesus. Persecution is a daily reality for them. And it does bring fear. But it also makes them daily dependent upon the Lord for their protection, and for their direction. For some of the missionaries that this very church supports 
and maintains authentic relationships with. They face persecution every single day. And though it is incredibly difficult to face, they willingly continue to follow Jesus and spread His Gospel by the grace and power of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. They greatly desire and need all of our prayers. After all, they are our true brothers and sisters. They are part of our family. We must continue at all times praying for them that God will continue to strengthen them and protect them and use them in mighty ways that the world may know that Jesus is our only answer. Amen? But just as we draw light to their reality of persecution, we must understand that persecution will be coming to America very soon as well. Are you ready to follow Jesus even in the face of persecution? Even with the threats that your very lives may be endangered? The truth is that none of us are ready on our own. None of us can assess what we would do in the face of danger based on our current state. Because it's the Holy Spirit who empowers believers with boldness and faith and truth and His power to stand against the enemy. You see, if you're following Jesus and someone puts a gun to your head and says, denounce Jesus, if you're following Jesus, Jesus will endue you with power to stand up and believe for Him. If we're following Jesus. If we are willing. Therefore, let us all draw close to God right now. Let us ask the Holy Spirit to quicken our spirits close to Him. To open our minds and to fill our hearts with more of Him. Let us all have the same revelation and the same desire that John the Baptist had. John 3, verse 30. A very powerful verse if you're looking for something to memorize. A very powerful verse that should be us each and every day. Speaking of Jesus, He said, He must increase, but I must decrease. If I'm going to live this life for God, God in me must increase in my life and I must decrease. In other words, my fleshly desires, my will, my logic has to decrease and I need to let God increase in me so He is leading me, not my desires. The way that we prepare our hearts and our response is to ask that our will, our flesh, and our desire decreases in us so that the Holy Spirit in us increases. For it will be by His strength, His blood, His grace, His power that we all overcome in this world. Revelations 2, verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. See, Jesus begins this instruction to the church in Smyrna by clarifying not only who He is, but who He is in them. Who He is in each one of us. Knowing that they will indeed face persecution. That they will be daily tempted to quit. To renounce their faith. To be led more by fear than their faith. Jesus wants all of them to know that He was the first and He is the last. In other words, He will see them through. He is greater than all persecution. He is greater than all fear. He is the focus of all of them and each of us as we keep our eyes upon Him. 
For He already has faced the greatest persecution of anyone, dying for us. And yet, He is alive today. Jesus didn't just go to the cross. He went through the cross because of God's love for us. Therefore, as His followers, we are empowered to do the same if we truly trust Him and allow the Holy Spirit to work through us and in us. Thus, true followers of Jesus must be willing to go through death and into eternal life, allowing God's love and power to lead us the entire way. To this church, to all who face persecution, He speaks to you right now, saying, I am the author and the finisher of your faith. I will see you through. The enemy could not destroy me, and he will not destroy you. My Spirit in you will see you through. No one and no thing can take away the eternal life that I have granted to you. Death is but a shadow. Eternity with my Father is forever and ever and ever. I am in you, and you are in me. I will never forsake you, for I am the first and the last. I will see you through. That's how this letter begins by telling the church you're going to be persecuted, but know that I will see you through, says the Lord. Thus, before we go any further discussing persecution, we must hear and seek to hold on to this promise of Jesus. He will indeed see us through no matter what or who comes against us. Jesus continues. Revelation 2, verse 9. First part, part A. He says, I know your works, your tribulation, and your poverty, but you are rich. Jesus sees what they have done as a church. He sees what they have endured and what they have lacked in material matters, but He assures them that they are rich because they have Him living inside of them. No matter how the world attempts to describe you, your success or your lack thereof, your symbols or your status or your lack. Jesus will always define you by heaven's standards. We just need to choose who we're going to listen to and who we're going to believe. This is one of the most important truths to us. The way the enemy gets his hooks into us, the way he has temptations open his door to us, is by convincing us that we're poor or that we're lacking something that we need. This is why we give in to temptation. It's why we give in to sin. Because we've been convinced that we're poor. We're lacking faith. We're lacking material goods. We're lacking something and the world is trying to give it to us. That's why temptation is an open door. It's because we believe the enemy that we need something more than what we already have. This is a lie. We are rich and blessed because the God of this universe has chosen to make His dwelling to live inside of each one of you. Think about that. Created the entire universe and He said, I'm going to live inside of you. I'm going to live inside of you. I think we take that for granted too often. The next time the enemy tempts you to despair, to lose hope, to pity yourself, to make you think that you are a failure or you have nothing, choose to stand on this truth from Jesus, the King of Kings. 
You are rich because you have Him. Say, I am rich because I have Him. That's the truth. That's the truth. Revelation 2, verse 9, part B. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Jesus knows the truth. He sees through people's false motives and fake commitments to them. He knows those who blaspheme Him in their words, in their thoughts, in their deeds, even though they put on airs in front of others. Jesus knows those who are His. He does not want us to be intimidated by others who are puffed up by their talents or their fame or their influence or their appearance or their charisma. Jesus knows His own. And He is only truly known by His own. It is not ours to worry about. In the last days, God will separate the sheep from the goats, as the Bible tells us. The wheat will be separated from the tares. The believers will be separated from the impostors. In fact, when you look around the world today, you can already see the separation happening. You can see who is willing to count the cost to follow Jesus, even when it's not popular or not safe. You can see those who are willing to stand on the truth of His Word and not compromise it by bending to societal pressures and accusations. But to those who are truly seeking Him, His grace, His love, His truth, His Spirit, He speaks a word of encouragement and this great promise. Revelation 2, verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Jesus reiterates the most repeated command of all the Bible. Do not be afraid. Fear not. Do not worry. Do not be dismayed. Do not fear. It's throughout the whole Bible, and yet we still fear. Why? Because we don't take the Word of God to heart. Yet this is not just a command. It is a promise. Because Jesus will be with all who are persecuted. He will be with all who are threatened. All who are facing the enemy. And all who are faithfully following the Lord. Now understand that Jesus does not promise us that we will not suffer persecution. On the contrary, He tells this very church in Smyrna, that every one of them will suffer in some sort of persecution and face an extended time of tribulation. Some will be thrown into prison. Some will be tested to renounce their faith. Some will be beaten. Some will lose their life on this earth. But all will be brought into eternity with Him and be given the crown of life. What an amazing promise. To be given a crown from Jesus Himself for choosing to trust Him through any possible threat of persecution from the world. But what good is a crown if you're in heaven? If our material belongings really don't matter, why is it important that I have a crown? 
What would we possibly do with our crowns in heaven? Well, the Bible actually talks about five different crowns that are given to believers based on various factors. And the Bible states what will become of these crowns as well. Because it's a worthy study, we're going to dive into it right here. The first crown the Bible talks about is called the imperishable crown. The imperishable crown. Okay? It's in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 and 25. It says this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Verse 25, and everyone who, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. But we do it for an imperishable crown. The material things of this earth are in a perpetual state of decay until the coming of Christ. Just look at society. Look at morality in society. It's perpetually going downhill. You can literally see morality unraveling before your eyes. But by our faithful endurance, with our way empowered by the blood of Jesus, we seek an imperishable crown. One that cannot be tarnished. In fact, look at how Peter describes it in 1 Peter 1.4. It says, To an inheritance incorruptible. Our inheritance in Christ cannot be corrupted. It cannot be tarnished incorruptible and undefiled. And that does not fade away. It is reserved in heaven for you. We live in an age where everything wears down. Remember when they used to make things that lasted? Remember when TVs lasted for 50 or 60 years? And refrigerators? And cars? And phones? Now they purposely make them so they break down so you've got to buy a new one. Right? But there is something in heaven that's reserved for you and it will never fade away. It will never be defiled. It will never be tarnished. Indeed, this is the imperishable crown for all who continue following Jesus by faith. Because the world hasn't rewarded you, don't think that your reward does not await for you in heaven. Undefiled. Untarnished. Imperishable. The second crown is the crown of rejoicing. Taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19. It says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at His coming? Throughout Scripture, we are encouraged to rejoice always, which keeps our eyes on the Lord instead of on our trials or on our challenges. It keeps our eyes on what He's already done for us, securing our eternity with Him. The crown of rejoicing keeps our eyes open to God. It keeps our minds positive and keeps us looking to our heavenly home which will not fade away instead of being dragged down by temporal difficulties and challenges. It's the crown that we need to keep at the forefront of our minds right now because the enemy is trying to attack us with negativity and doubt and fear. We need to rejoice not because of what we think is a blessing, but we rejoice because He is living inside of us and He has a place for us reserved in heaven. Rejoicing in the Lord is truly what makes our faith real. Of course, it's all too easy to be moved into fear and doubt and negativity and despair. 
by everything that is happening around us and to us and to our loved ones. However, we are commanded to keep rejoicing and to ride that wave of rejoicing all the way to the time that Jesus Christ comes to take us home. Where God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain. Hallelujah for that. Amen? There shall be, the former things will have passed away. That's the crown of rejoicing. The third crown is the crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness. It is in 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. It says, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. That means when He comes back, the day of appearing, when He brings us all to heaven, on that day, He will give the faithful followers a crown of righteousness. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved His appearing. This is a crown that we don't earn by our efforts or by our works. We inherit it through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because it is imputed to us by Jesus' work on the cross, it is everlasting and it cannot be taken away. It's promised to all who genuinely love the Lord and eagerly wait for His return. Genuine love for the Lord at His appearing means that we are not preoccupied with worry or complaining or blaming or slander of others. It means that we are not overtaken by negativity or judgment of others or devising human schemes to confront attacks. Genuine love for the Lord at His appearing means that we wait with patience in hope. We love and we serve one another willingly. We seek God's face, not just His hand. Which means we're not just begging for God to give us things. We want to know Him more. We want to seek the face of the One we worship. We truly want to choose Him and follow Him and seek Him. The crown of righteousness understands exactly what Jesus sacrificed and gave so that He could bring us into His kingdom. So that we could come into His presence where there is a fullness of joy. When we endure discouragement and persecution, suffering, or even death, we can know assuredly our reward is with Christ in eternity. Thus, we keep our eye on the prize of eternal life with the Lord. Understanding that the entrance into heaven and into God's presence is only possible through the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross. Fourth crown of glory in the Bible. The fourth crown is called the crown of glory. 1 Peter 5, verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Though Peter is addressing the elders here, we must remember that the crown will be awarded to all those who long for the glory of the Lord to come bring them home. Glory entails God's great splendor and His great brightness. You might recall that while Stephen was being stoned to death for his faith, he was able to look into the heavens and see the glory of God. The crown of glory also reminds us of how incredibly blessed believers are 
to enter into the kingdom of heaven and into the very likeness of Christ Himself. That's when we will be glorified. Do you realize that those who continue in the faith, trusting in Jesus with their lives, when we enter into heaven, our sin nature is gone forever. No more temptations. No more bad thoughts. No more negativity. No more despair. That sin nature will be ripped from us and we will be glorified and become like Him. That's an amazing promise from an amazing God. Paul so eloquently put it this way in Romans 8.18. He said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in all of us. We'll find the last crown, the fifth crown, is the crown of life from our verse today. Revelations 2.10 Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Understand that this crown is for all believers, but it is especially dear to those who endure sufferings, who bravely confront persecution, not in their own strength, but in the strength of the Spirit, even to the point of death. Believers don't just seek to survive in life. They are empowered to serve, empowered to love, empowered to forgive, to live, and to die for the One who died for us all. Beautiful crowns are promised to believers and true followers of Jesus Christ. But now here's the question. Why are we given crowns when we are in heaven? If there will be no sin in heaven and no pride and no comparing, no self-admiration and no status symbols, then what good will crowns be for us when we're in heaven? Well, let's go to the Word of God for the answer. In fact, if you go to a later part of John's vision of the book of Revelation, we'll see. So in Revelation 4.10, it says this, the 24 elders in heaven, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. John watches as the 24 elders in heaven fall down on their faces in great reverence before Him who sits on the throne, worshiping the Lord, and in their most authentic form of worship. It's not just their singing or their words. In their most authentic form, they cast their crowns before the throne. This picture demonstrates that worship is giving of ourselves, not just singing words. Worship is giving of our minds, focusing on God giving of our hearts and our desires and our attention and our will to the Lord. By casting their crowns before the Lord, they demonstrate worship with all of their heart and their soul and their mind and their strength. Saying in verse 11, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For You created all things, and by Your will they exist 
and were created. In their words of worship to the Lord, they indicate that despite what they have done on earth to earn these crowns, only Jesus, the King of kings, is truly worthy of glory and honor. In His perfect and holy presence, all good deeds that we have done will pale in comparison. A crown will seem but an insignificant gift to present to the One who gave His very life for us. The elders' response in Revelations 4 is most likely the way that we all will respond when we receive our reward from Jesus. We won't put it in our own trophy case. We will come before the Lord knowing that He died for us knowing that He gave everything for us, knowing that He washed away our sins, knowing that He did not judge us, we will come before Him and out of pure worship, we will cast our crowns before the Lord. We can only imagine that we will be so overcome with gratitude because of what He has done for us that worship will just be spontaneous. Regardless of what we have endured on earth, a priceless crown will seem like such a small offering, but it will be the best gift that we can give Him for all that He has given us. Following the example of the 24 elders, Jesus made a point of showing this to John. We will likely cast our crowns at His feet. Can you imagine the power and the majesty and the honor of being part of that event? Everyone coming before the Lord and being able to give Him a gift of thanks, and to cast our crowns at His feet, saying, Holy, holy, holy are You, Lord God Almighty. Revelation 2.11 He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Jesus gives us this vision of heaven, this vision of our glory with Him, this vision of eternal peace and love so that we will endure and overcome by the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives as we put our trust and our faith and our lives in His hands. Matthew 5.10 Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you for my sake. You see, it's not for us to defend ourselves and to argue back and to slander them. Jesus says we're blessed when we're reviled, when we're persecuted, when we're falsely accused. Rejoice, He says, not fight back, in your words, but rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Indeed, I tell you, as Jesus tells us, be exceedingly glad, brothers and sisters, for great is your reward. To know that we're ready, to know that we're looking forward following Jesus, we show Him that we're ready for His return. 